0: Our societies today are shaped by short-termism.
1: Social media feeds, the latest political headlines, or the latest fashion trends. Like, it's all about now.
0: Meanwhile, the planet is warming and inequality rises. Existential catastrophes, human extinction.
1: If short-termism got us into this mess, can long-termism get us out of it?
2: Organizations and institutions often focus on the short-term, People are tempted to get quick results. The long-term results are much less likely to be considered. Not considering the long-term results can cause big problems when it comes to global issues like climate change, poverty, deforestation, religious conflict and migration. For these major issues we must develop long-term strategies. In this series on long-termism, scientists and stakeholders talk about new views on big issues based on long-termism. 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 What is long-termism? Every episode, we ask the same question to see how different people view this term. Jack Davies is a research assistant for the Center for Global Challenge at the Utrecht University. Jack,
3: great to have you in the show. What is long-termism? Oh, well, great to be here. Thank you, Ben. Um, long-termism is uh, this this philis- this philosophy this moral worldview, this family of different perspectives, which basically says that uh, positively influencing the long-term future is a key moral priority of our time. Mm. So it kind of comes from these three different converging uh, ideas. The first is that the future could be really vast. The future could be uh, very, very long. Humanity's been around for about 70,000 years so far. There could be many more millions of years in our future and many more millions of generations in our future. So most people that might live will in fact live in the future. The second thing is that these future lives matter just as much as those today. So just the same as uh, our lives now matter just as much as those from a thousand years ago, and just as much as our lives now matter just as much as those a thousand miles away, those in the future also have the same value. Mm. And the third is that the actions that we take today can in fact influence the future in somewhat predictable ways. And, you know, these are not especially novel or, or new realizations. In fact, some cultures have really been engaging with, uh, with future generations and long-termism in, in different forms uh, for many millennia, millennia, in fact. But what is new is this convergence uh, of these different ideas, these different questions, around a sustained kind of academic uh, uh, focus. And this is also matched by a distinct, more broad uh, societal engagement with questions about the long-term versus the short-term. And these are kind of start to, to to play out across public policy. So things like water management, uh, agricultural policy, but also things like uh, how we represent people in our democratic processes. It's also playing out across other sectors such as uh, private and public investment. Uh, and of course, climate change uh, and environmental management is a really stark example of this. Yeah, and, and when does the short-term
2: end and when does the long-term start? Because when I think of long-term, I, may, I might be thinking about, well, my actions and their consequences in 10 years that's a long long time from now 10 years but i can imagine that it's still short term in your terms
3: yeah absolutely so it really depends on who you ask and, and this is one of the, the, the kind of interesting things is that there's so many different perspectives on what long-term means uh, and on what a long-term perspective is but If you speak to an investment manager, they might be talking about timelines of months to uh, a couple of years to maybe five years or 10 years could be, uh, in some cases, an extremely long-term time frame. Mm -hmm. In other cases, you need to be looking at 50 years to 100 years, uh, especially when you're talking about environmental management and trying to predict consequences there. And even broader than that, um, when you're looking into some of the more severe uh, risks that that face our planets uh, and our societies, you could be talking about hundreds to thousands of years, if not if not much further. Into hundreds of thousands of years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. If the timelines that you're looking at involve um, things like uh, asteroid impacts or, or uh, any risks to humanity from from outer space, then yeah, you're talking about, about those timeframes. But you're also talking about those timeframes when you're trying to say, actually, uh, these generations in the future, they will matter millions of years into the future. And, and what we do now can actually impact that.
2: Thanks, Jack, for that uh, great kickoff uh, and our first perspective on, uh, on long-termism. In the next episodes, uh, other colleagues, other people will also give their perspective on long-termism. Thanks, Jack.
3: Let's talk about climate change. People are calling it the crisis of our time, and it is. Climate change. Climate change. Climate changes.
0: Climate change. Why is 1.5 degrees such a big deal?
4: Because all the cold is getting pushed out of the Arctic. The Arctic is warming three times faster than the rest of the planet. It's widely known
1: that the climate of the Alps is changing rapidly. Temperatures there have risen by around 2 degrees Celsius over the past 120 years, almost twice as much as the global Average.
5: Millions of Americans live on a coast, but a new report says sea levels could rise as much as a foot within 30 years. Wrecked once again by water, this is the third time Kim's home in Brechin has been devastated by floods. And this is your, this is your life, this is your belongings. Yep, Yeah. again. How are you feeling? Devastated.
2: Climate change has a huge effect on the world, but also in the Netherlands. We are raising the dikes to prevent flooding, just as we have been doing for centuries. But can we keep on doing this, knowing that a large part of the Netherlands is already below sea level? Invited to our studio is Petra Goese of the Regional Water Authority in the northwest of the Netherlands. Petra, uh, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Well, we've just heard Jack talking about the long term and being a really, really long term. If you look at this long term and you look at climate change and the rising sea level, but what are the problems that you are thinking about and looking forward, looking maybe 100 years ahead in time? What are, what are then the issues that you are working on?
1: I think it's mostly it's a, it's a combination of effects. So you do have sea level rise and that might affect or you m- might need to do something about either relocation or building those lakes higher and bigger. Uh, but perhaps other issues are even more important. With the sea level rise, also comes in salination problems. With our current land use, we will have uh, pro- problems in the in the nearby future. Let alone when you speak in 100 years' time, mm-hmm. um, we will have to deal with water bombs. You know, this really clustering water uh, intensity, high intensity water that will fall and will actually give lots of uh, inundations, which is not coming from the sea, but it's coming from above us. Yeah, that will also have a bit of problem. If you look in other issues that we are facing, challenges that we are facing, we also have to deal with housing. People have difficulties finding a house now. If we have more migration coming to the Netherlands, then perhaps you need more housing space. And I think that's the major problem that we are looking at now, but for sure in 50 or 100 years' time, is a lack of space. And to find a good solution for multiple use of our uh, min- yeah, limited amount of space you need a lot of creativity to, uh, well, to collaborate and to find some yeah. very nice uh, solutions for that.
2: And if you look ahead, like let's say a, a hundred years from now, I can imagine that that solution, that solutions that we now have to fight the water that's always wanting to get in the Netherlands, of course, because we are a delta region. Maybe some of these solutions are just not viable anymore. Do you already have scenarios in which you say, well, uh, maybe something like raising the dikes is just, it's not possible anymore if we look really, really far ahead, 100 years or maybe 200 years?
1: Well, it's all about cost-benefits evaluation, isn't it? So you're balancing the costs, what it will be for damage, or uh, raising those dikes and using that space for our dikes indeed. Uh, And that's something we are looking into every period of 50 years, for instance, and we look again, like... What are the investments in our borders, and can we still do this in the same way? Mm. Um, well, there are some ideas and some creativity going on out in the universities, also. Like perhaps we should move to Germany, but they—I can tell you—they are not <laughs> waiting for us. Oh uh, no! know. <laughs> 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 or building a dam to uh, to Scotland from uh, Norway, for instance. Oh, well, which solve perhaps some problems with our eastern neighbors, but uh, <laughs> it's you know, it's you're blocking the whole sea towards uh, Russia. Uh, it might be a bit challenging to do that. Mm, Um,
2: Geopolitically,
1: maybe. um, Exactly. Geopolitics might be involved, yes, very much. (laughs) But um, I I think it's very good to have this kind of line of reasoning just to think very far ahead. It will help you if you have these very outstretched ideas to think of what is really needed, uh, what we should do today for the next generations to come. And perhaps these are very wild ideas and we will meet each other somewhere in the middle, I'm sure
2: yeah, but I can imagine that if you if your time horizon starts to expand to maybe a hundred years or even more, then also the ideas that you have and also the 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 normal ways of doing are are also stretched. and you're all, all then you have new alternatives coming yes. up like maybe even making land out of the North Sea
1: exactly yes yeah, it, it helps you really it helps your creativity to give it a boost. And otherwise we will always say, you know we not cannot do that because my neighbor will not agree or something like that. So if you go to 100 years, then people get rid of us all this rigid thinking, and that is really a positive way for creativity to, f- to let that flow. Yeah. Uh, and then next step is to bring it to reality, back to rea- reality, and make yeah. wise decisions for the future. And that is very complicated. I can
2: imagine that that is that is really difficult because if you if you make a decision today, and your line of reasoning is well, in two hundred years we know that this will happen, so we're we're already working on that, and now we have to make a decision which is not so probably. Not. Well, we saw it, of course, with parts of the Netherlands that are now uh, uh, given back to uh, to the rivers
1: yes. to
2: make sure that there's room for for water to flow. Well, yeah, if you're living there, then you're like, yeah, well, it may be 50 or 100 years, but uh, I have to move right now.
1: Exactly. And if you look 50 years back, people are not living there. So maybe you can also learn from mm. history. Mm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Can you say that then maybe that that there wasn't enough uh, room for long-termism in the past?
1: In the past and, and in the current.
2: In the current also?
1: I think so, yes. Okay. It's very difficult for a, uh, well, like our regional water authority, our politicians are appointed for four years. So they look at, well, usually they look for four years, perhaps eight years. They look ahead, but... Perhaps you should think first for its one hundred years ahead, mm-hmm. and then see what is the best decision to make today. Yeah, and that's not easy.
2: So, and looking from this issue that you are working on, what would be your main question you want to ask to um, uh, to these three scientists that we have in the studio?
1: I would really, I'm really looking into your uh, ideas on how to f- let creativity flow and find solutions to find to get the best decision-making processes going on right now in order to make a bridge to the other sectors that we do not speak their language, but also for the next generations to come. So how can we make the best decision now for the, the next generation? Ah. I mean, we know we have to do it, but we do not know how.
2: Okay. Well, that's a great question. Let's ask them. Academic thinkers of this episode are Herman Kasper Gillessen, Associate Professor of Utrecht University Center for Water, Oceans and Sustainability Law, Rak Kim, Assistant Professor of Global Environmental Governance in the Copernicus Institute of Sustainable Development also at the Utrecht University, and Kim Cohen, Assistant Professor of Physical Geography at the Utrecht University. Well, in this part of the show I have to explain what's going to happen to our listeners. Uh, we have 10 minutes for each academic to talk about the issue at hand from their perspective because they of course have a center of expertise that they're working for the other two academics and me of course will ask questions to learn from their colleague from a totally different field of expertise herman Kasper so we'll start with you petra Ask the question which of course is a big question how can we make the best decision now with the long term in mind looking at raising sea levels uh, more water pouring out of the sky in less time yeah yeah well good luck
4: yeah i think that, that that's one of the most important questions of the of the current time frame where we're in we've addressed it or touched upon it in several research projects but we haven't found the answer to this question yet so we try to discuss it over lunch but even over lunch, we didn't find a question to that. But you're uh,
2: already working on, on this question in particular. Yeah,
4: yeah, of, of course, we're, we're, we're thinking about it. And w- if, if the question is uh, how to make decisions for the longer term, I, I don't think that we uh, need to make decisions right now for uh, a, a, about 100 years or 150 years. Of course, we have to look in, in, in the future and uh, see what's what's going towards us, so w- which risks we we're, we're going to face. But the most important thing is how to get there. And how to get there safely. So, if you look at the Netherlands, the the Dutch Delta, when will we be unable to to live in the west of the country, and when are we forced to move towards the east, as as was addressed by uh, by Petra? But. In between, there's a lot of time and a lot of development and uh, uh, a lot of decisions to be made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we, we we shouldn't sit and wait until the time we were we're, were forced to move. So we. But well, we know
2: Herman uh, Hermann Cosper. We know that uh, in the coming ten years we'll be building uh, yep. nine hundred thousand houses in yep. the Netherlands. Yep. So if we, we all build them in the west of the Netherlands, where it's all already crowded, but where also people want to live. Yeah. And our thoughts are also also, well, maybe these dikes we can't raise them into into eternity and
4: yeah why are it, we building these houses it, there? It depends on on the speed of sea level rise, of course, but that, that's the first thing you have to think of on the shorter term. Uh, is it still wise to uh, make some investments, so, uh, certain investments in the west of the country, for instance, building uh, large residential areas. Uh, should we do that in the deepest borders of the country? Uh, that That's a political question, of course. I cannot answer, but that's a thing we need to think of. Should we build uh, a main airport in one of the lowest parts of the country? That's an investment for something that is uh, meant to be there for the next 70 years, 80 years, mm. maybe 100 years. Is that a wise decision? Is that a wise development? I think it's not, or at least, if, not if you do, not, uh, if you make that decision uninformed and don't take uh, flood risk into account. But there are also other things. I think for for, for the coming up to 50 year, we we can rely on our uh, dike system, but we should also. 50. 50 yeah, years yeah, yeah. so well, my yeah, children
2: will be will have a problem maybe, maybe. longer of course but th- that <laughs> that
4: that depends on the effectiveness of our mitigation measures and the speed of sea level rise and and yeah. river discharges so uh, that that that's uncertain and we have to take that uh, get that uncertainty into decision making
2: and uh, do you think that that if you look at how decisions are made right now that the long term is already uh, playing an, a large enough role in all these decisions that are made
4: i think at the strategic level, uh, we have a Delta program. Of course, uh, water management authorities, also at the national level, they think about the long term. But I'm not sure whether their decisions are informed by the results of that long term thinking yet uh, mm-hmm. enough.
2: Yeah. So uh, your colleagues here in the studio, uh, Rakim and uh, Kim Cohen, are uh, listening to you. So what, Kim? What 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 bubbles up in your your mind? What what question do you have for uh, Herman Gosper?
0: Yeah, I'm quite triggered by the building houses uh, thing in the low parts of the, the Netherlands. I'm also thinking of for how long do we build those those houses? You said uh, 50 years, maybe one 100 years. Maybe that's the lifespan of the house. But our occupation of those areas, once we build houses somewhere, we are bound to stay there.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: It, uh, I've... I do not know of any parts of the, the, the Netherlands that were built over, say, 50 years uh, 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 ago with urban housing and are now transformed to nature or transformed to agriculture. I know of all the opposite mm-hmm. uh, direction change changes. And I was also triggered by the long-termism of the investment. Because you make an investment now and in the end you have built houses and then you have sold them to either uh, large housing com- companies or to individuals that own houses. Mm-hmm. And so the investment is over, but the ownership is shown and it's there for yeah. the long term. So in 100 years time or in 200 years time, I think that's about the time window that we in bad scenarios may have to build off, uh, build, build down or uh, change our occupation in this in this delta who are the owners then and who do we have to bail out then yeah that's the kind of long-termism fault in not in space but in ownership so mapping the ownership in the in the long term yeah that would that's my triggered fault
4: yeah and and which instruments are you going to use then 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 you have to look into future and uh see which legal instruments you have available then to use because now we uh, we have, uh, you, you you can sell the property or uh, buy the property, sorry, or you can… Uh, disown uh, it. Yeah. Buy out. Yeah. 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 Buy out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but perhaps there there, there will be uh, more suited instruments in the future. Yeah. But and is
0: it easier to, to buy out a single large house owner than to buy out, say, uh, 10,000 individual mini parcel A whole village. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah, and then, then you get to the question you addressed first, whether you uh, want to out. use the land uh, in the way you have used it uh, for, for the last hundred years, yeah. uh, or or are you willing to to make a decision, all right, okay, now we cannot live here any longer, but we can still use the, 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 the ground for other purposes. And that's a decision, also a political decision you have to make towards that, 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 that end stage of uh, not yeah. being able to live or work or, or do anything with the mm. ground because there's water.
2: Yeah, it almost demands a new way of looking at residential areas being more flexible and more able to adjust yeah. and move. And yeah. and of course, you already see it with uh, sustainable housing. Of course, if you make something in a circular way, then you can take it apart and reuse yeah. it. Yeah. So maybe that that's, helps that's, a bit. That's
4: living with water. Uh, and and if, if, if you think big, you can think of floating cities and uh, uh, floating industrial areas. Uh, for instance, well, I want to
2: go to Rak because uh, Rak. What's your question to uh, to Herman Kasper? What What are you curious about?
5: I would like to pick up on the point you mentioned about the the need to be um, more flexibility in terms of how we imagine residenti- about residential areas. Mm-hmm. And I, my question to Herman Kasper is: so, from a legal perspective, I mean, there's a need to make law more flexible, um, but at the same time law is there to make sure order is maintained and and, and, and so we can predict um, sort of social interactions in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's your take on the role of ro- law um, and is there a possibility to make law more flexible at the same time, mm. more resilient? Yeah, uh,
4: I'm not sure whether the law in itself is not, not flexible because it can always be changed. But it's a good question because the law has several functions, and one of the functions is to, to guide such processes in, in a way that the end goal is reached, but uh, not against all costs, of course, not, not, not with breaching human rights, for instance. Uh, so that, that needs to, all, all to be kept in mind, so the legal system is there to, uh, to protect, but also to guide, and, uh, to, to, to guide such change, yes, and well. it should be developed in that way.
2: All right. You're already hearing the music, so that means the our ten minutes with uh, Herman Kasper uh, are are finished. Uh, thanks, Herman kasper We'll switch to uh, to Rak. Uh, well, Rak, looking from your perspective to uh, to Peter's question about well, how to make these enormous decisions on the long term in a way that uh, you can take them now already with those hundred or maybe two hundred years ahead. So, what's your take on that?
5: So, I think there's a connection between the why question and the how question. So we started discussing about how we make decisions uh, for the long-term future right now. But these why and how questions are connected in the the sense that the answers to how may also partly lie in answers to the why question. So the question is, why um, do we need to be concerned about the long-term future right now? What is the urgency? Well, I think uh, from my perspective, people tend to think that sea level rise uh, rising is going to happen in an incremental manner rather than an abrupt manner. Mm. Um, so I think there's a need to kind of realize and recognize the Earth system uh, or climate system as a complex system with tipping points. Um, so the sea level rising is happening because largely because the melting of the ice sheets in the in Antarctica and also on Greenland and there's uh, these systems these ice sheets have tipping points. I mean these there are a certain point uh, uh, the ice big ice sheets will break off um, from the antarctica and, and um there's no kind of well these these big chunks will basically melt no matter what we do
2: yeah because from the moment that they break off and and uh, fall into the sea they will start melt yes Not to melt because yes. the sea is of course salt yes. water so it doesn't even matter if it's really cold If they're in the water, they will melt. Exactly.
5: And that will raise the sea level by a few meters or tens of meters. Um, And then, you know, I think that's the starting point. I mean, uh, in terms of thinking about how we should uh, make decisions right now, because we need to be informed about what will happen in 100 years or 200 years. Hmm. And yes. Yeah, because in our minds, uh, we
2: think about, okay, it will rise within, let's say, 100 years, two meters. So uh, we divide it. Like two meters, oh, so yeah. that's a few centimeters a year. What are we talking about? Exactly. Are we able to just take a shovel and raise the dikes? Yes, exactly, yeah, but it doesn't work that way. No, I don't
5: think it does it works that way hmm. so yes, I mean that's so we re- have to realize, I mean we need to make sure we do something right now to avoid tipping points and okay. um how do you, how we do we how do we make such decisions decisions that will get us Uh, allow us to avoid tipping points is uh, what we need to be discussing. And how do we
2: know how to avoid these tipping points? Because then you have to know how these tipping points will emerge.
5: So, well, this goes back to uh, questions about mitigation, of course. Um, Are we doing enough to mitigate climate change, sea level rising? These have to be also discussed. And... Well, b- adaptation in terms of adaptation, it's uh, yeah, it's it's not just about uh, moving p- people from river, uh, river or near the rivers mm-hmm. to elsewhere, um, but also start thinking about fundamental changes that we may need to make uh, in society in terms of. Well, I mean, um, Petra mentioned about well, half jokingly mentioned about people moving to Germany, which has implications for con- concepts like sovereignty, political boundaries. No, I think we will have to face these big questions in society in some at some point and we need to be maybe having these conversations um, already now and yeah because when
2: when these tipping points uh, start to occur we're, we're way too late yeah yes, yeah exactly yeah so Kim um, what's what's on your mind what is what is one of the questions what are you curious about uh, uh Regarding uh, um, yeah. Ruck's story about the tipping points,
0: I think the thing is: is this regional or is this global? The thing, the the mitigation thing. Right, so we want less uh, CO two, less carbon dioxide in the atmosphere for the world, and every region on Earth should do that. That kind of uh, thing, and we do. We also want this for ourselves are our lowland delta because if we mitigate climate a bit or enough then in 100 years time we have a small challenge or a moderate challenge and if we do not mitigate hmm. climate now in 100 years time we'll have a huge challenge in adaptation so it's global versus regional on the and mitigation adaptation as a tandem basically
2: yeah, if you're in Nepal, you don't have a big problem with water rises, probably.
0: Not with water rise. You do with glacier melt. And once they are gone, you have a problem with drinking in the non-monsoon
5: system, mm. uh, season. Yeah. But yes.
2: Yeah. So, rock the, the the global versus the regional perspective.
5: Um, It's a tough question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it should Maybe be. Maybe it's not a question, but it's kind of, it's an issue where we... Yes. That Yeah. Maybe it's also working on both... But yeah,
5: I think this this um, issue about global versus regional also raises the question about who should be involved in making decisions about the future, long term future. Right now, um, should it be a vision that emerges from bottom up, from different regions, from different countries, different communities, or should it should we all sit together at the global level and decide on the future? What how much sea level rise do we can we tolerate, for example? Mm. And do we need a collective um, strategy as a, as as the whole world? And some people say it's not realistic. There are too many, too much differences in terms of social social justice, and it's um, everyone has a different idea about the future. Whereas other people say, I mean, we need to have a collective strategy or vision or, or future, uh, image of the future we want. And then the question is, who is involved in this future-making processes and decision-making processes? And it's very difficult from from a political perspective to get everyone on board and, and involved. In, yeah, we've in seen the... it with the, all the climate uh, exactly. summits. Yes, yes. Yeah. So there's this political dimension to what some scholars call anticipatory governance, so governing the present with some anticipation of unpredictable, uncertain futures
2: yeah Herman Kasper, you've been listening to uh, to um, story to yes. his insights what's what's yeah. the question what makes you curious uh,
4: I I think it relates to Kim's question because that's a li- uh, the legit question of course the more you uh, mitigate the less you have to adapt on the on, on, in the long run or at least in theory uh, but then, then I think if you look at uh, the Paris agreement and the, the agreements made there uh, uh, we, we need to mitigate of course. To get temperature rise well below one point five degree, then my question to you is: Is is that enough to prevent us from reaching those tipping points, or should we do more?
5: Well, that's actually a question that I cannot really answer from a mm. social science perspective. Mm. But we are already committed to one point one degrees <laughs> increase, mm-hmm. and at the uh, at the business as usual trend, I think we are actually, I mean, from um, from my a little bit of pessimistic or I'd like to call it realistic <laughs> um, <laughs> perspective. I think it's maybe probably too late to um, avoid tipping points. Mm.
4: So we, we need to massively invest in adaptation in the uh, near future. And
5: yes, yes, that also. But at the same time, it doesn't mean we should forget about mitigation because the speed at which we go through or step over the tipping points will de- determine how far we overshoot, which has a lot of implications for... Where we will be ending up in the long future
2: yeah when I'm listening to you Rak, i I and also we we put that in the in the in the the starting jingle of this uh, topic all the communication about climate change about sea level rise is all in in general terms so it's like well, it could rise like two meters in this uh, this number of years. Uh, we try to uh, keep the, the the world from uh, heating up for w- one or 1.5 degrees. And I think if you're not into this subject, you're like, well, one and a half degrees. What what are we talking about? I mean, then it's in the in the summer in the Netherlands, it's 26 and a half degrees instead of 25 degrees. No problem. But of course, it is not a general number because it's heating up on the on the in the uh, Antarctic. A lot faster in the mountains a lot faster, so maybe it's also it also has to do with how we use these numbers to create urgency. How do you look upon that?
5: Yes, that's I think it's a, a very good point. Um, so we speak of 1.5 and two degrees as if they are the point, they are going to be the end points. I mean, but once we reach these two degrees or 1.5, it may become actually very difficult to stop us from reaching four degrees or five degrees six degrees increase in the long future so maybe people there's a need to re- raise awareness about where we might end up if we cannot avoid 1.5 celsius the degrees increase yeah as uh, as as everyone on uh the, the the countries have agreed to on um, um, on the paris agreement
2: yeah also to raise the level of urgency right now of yes, course yes yeah. yes all right we'll make a switch so it's time for thank you rock uh, for uh, for for all your insights um time for us swi- to make a switch to kim cohen so we also have another perspective because uh, kim your uh, field of work is uh, physical geography so how do you Ah, uh, listen! Listen to the question of Petra, and what what does does come to mind?
0: Yeah, I listen to it, and then I try to separate what is the physical landscape, what is the water, what is the surface, what is the sea in her story, and what is humans? What is our dike maintenance? Our demand on land use? Our wish? And so that- you're separating. In my mind in I your tried mind to separate
2: you, okay it. and you also tried to separate what was man-made and what was just na- what would yeah. happen if nature was just doing its thing
0: because in the literature and in the disciplines etc there is there is that sep- separation in science and uh, Academia I would even say mm-hmm. and um uh I study the history of the, the the landscape I know how long there are dikes in the northwest of the the, the Netherlands, about 900 years. Wow. I know how long there are windmills, about s- 600, 500 years. I know how long there are uh, steam engines, or were. They uh, were there 200 years ago and dismissed, 100 years. And now there are electrical pumps, quite big ones, uh, with gas-powered uh, uh, electricity, uh, how do you call them, I don't know, mm-hmm. in in installations and so on. So it's all fossil fuel intensified. I know the land subsidence history over those 900 years, the surface was lowered by a couple of meters. So the polders today are deeper than they were one century uh, uh, ago, especially in the last 50 years also. There was also a lot of land subsidence from those last 50 years, quite young, because we intensify our use and we combine many functions. And for that, we lower the water.
2: Yeah. usually we lower the, the groundwater yeah, level
0: because we can pay f- for it and it's safe because the water system in the polders is completely different or completely separated or almost completely separate from the water system out outsized at least from the shallow water systems but there is groundwater connecting it so i heard about salinization eh, the water becoming more salty which will become an increasing problem if sea level rises on one side of the dike and polders are kept lower on the other side, you are pumping salt, basically, in the mm. end. So nature is then forcing you to change function because you cannot grow uh, today's crops on those soils. And uh, yeah, so maybe that's a good uh, reason to stop agriculture in some parts where that is the worst problem and build houses there. Mm. But they are very low. So very much at risk. And even more at risk. So that's that's the kind of thinking. So I and in that thinking I say the groundwater, that's nature. It cannot be changed. You cannot change the groundwater system at the scale of the Netherlands. You can pump against it. Yeah, you
2: can lower the but a bit. you will
0: be pumping for the rest of your life and the life of the next generations and those on the long term you will be pumping. Yeah. Unless you give it up. But then it's also a very watery area again.
2: Yeah, it will be swamp. And
0: then uh, you have to float or leave.
2: Float or leave. Yeah, I would say, yeah. <laughs> flee or
0: flee or float. Flee or, or float. Like yeah, you give it, you give it up. You can still fish there. You can still, I know, uh, get the remainder of fossil fossil fuels from the subsurface in those then drowned areas. You can buy all kind of, hmm. uh, yeah, not uh, recommendable things in terms of mitigation and of uh, carbon uh, uh, budgets, but uh, you can, you could do it if you wanted. Yeah. If you're, yeah. Uh, so uh, that's how I'm thinking about this.
2: All right. And going back to the question of Petra, who said, well, we, we have to make decisions every day, sometimes also investments that go maybe 30 or 50 or maybe even longer yeah. years. How can she already take into account this long term of maybe 100 or 200 years from now within all decisions that are being made.
0: Yeah, I think decision making by humans on the long term, that is really a difficult thing. It's a social science, law, humanities kind of question. Yeah, we're not so good but at it. But it's only half of her answer. And the other half is understanding what the world will will do. And that is what rock also uh, talked about. That's... um. Preventing that we warm up the Earth so much that we will trigger tipping points to be crossed. Yeah. So I think one and a half to two meter uh, to two degrees of of warming, there is a modest chance that parts of Ant- Antarctica will be triggered and the sea level rise becomes unmanageable. But if it's three de- de- degrees, there is a very good chance mm. that that happens. That's also what. How the IPCC uh, re- report summarizes the uh, science on this, and if it's four degrees, that is, if we would do business as as usual, uh, or how it is exactly called, then we are quite sure that in, say, at the end of the of of this century, there will be large parts of Antarctica rapidly melting, and we will have, yeah, a sea level that, that at that moment stands at one meters above now, and is rising we say 50 centimeters every 25 years or so so we then shooting up to five meters yeah uh, at the end of the next next century
3: mm. yeah.
0: wow
2: so time to do something and that's also what we try to do of course to stimulate uh a long-termism and mm-hmm. thinking about the long term yeah, so and, uh, and
0: i guess also changing what we do today uh, so it's really on altering what we do huh? so it's not doing something completely new I would think but it's just some transforming and do it for different reasons Yeah, we did it in the
5: past yeah Rock,
2: what's the question that's swarming in your
5: mind so I think um, there's also so this concern about the long term future may incentivize or, or stimulate us to come up with short term Answers, short term measures that we can take in order to avoid these tipping points. For example, I'm thinking about geoengineering, solar geoengineering in particular, which I'm very concerned about, to mm-hmm. be honest, um, because there are all sorts of un- un- unintended consequences that might emerge uh, once we engage in solar geo- en- engineering. And, and there are also lots of governance questions that are still unanswered. What is your. And t-
2: rock solar engineering is. is blocking the sun exactly uh, and preventing the sun to heat up the, exactly. the planet so if yeah.
5: we have so focused on the temperature uh, and, and preventing the, the the climate system or the earth system from warming up um, and that might be a solution some people are actually really serious about this idea of blocking sunlight mm-hmm. and, and thereby cooling the planet um, which may save uh, give us some time actually from yeah, no. So what is your take on um this issue of solar geoengineering? I think
0: geoengineering at a global scale I w- also consider very very risky and also because a, uh, because you change so much and so in- indefinitely and out of you know, that it, you, there's no chance of containing it and no chance of turning it back. Mm. And then I'm thinking about um Pouring extra nutrients in the oceans to speed up photosynthesis uh, of algae to capture more carbon in the ocean, those kind of things. Uh, I do not believe in it. And this solar blocking kind of things, I would think, is also super expensive. I wonder if the cost benefits of that are better than uh, the more traditionally advised mitigation uh, and adaptation measures. Yeah. So I. At the regional scale, I think you, we are geoengineers anyway as a species, you know, dike, building dikes and creating polders is geoengineering at the regional to local scale. And um, also uh, changing our energy source from fossil fuel to geothermal and to uh, hydro plants, uh, dams in uh, upstream in the river basins, et cetera that's also geoengineering mm-hmm. but it's at the regional to local scale and i think we cannot we should keep on doing that also in this uh too yeah otherwise we cannot live with about 10 billion people on this earth and we yeah. get back to the one billion from uh, before the industrial revolution
2: yeah herman cosper what's the question
4: Yeah, it's difficult to to come up with a, a, an interesting question for you but i think i got one Rock, you, you touched upon the questions why should we do this and, and and who should take these measures i think i have a question for you which uh, uh is about when should we uh, do this in the netherlands at least uh, uh or large parts of the country there is uh, uh, uh the type of land use determines mm. the, uh, the 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 groundwater level there are ideas to to flip that so the groundwater level becomes more stable and determines which type of land use you can have there when should this decision be made when when should we change that way in thinking uh, the way, w- way of thinking and policy yeah, i think
0: the answer is now and i if i positively read the uh, policy of the present day dutch government they say soil and water is a leading concept in our adaptation and our spatial planning in the future So they have actually said that. So I think they were just in in time and well advised by the Delta Commissioner in this case. And it buys time, I think, for all the more difficult adaptations, uh, such as uh, changing our dikes and um, changing our water usage and so on, changing our drinking water uh, uh, systems.
2: Yeah that in itself is a quite a big change to let us adjust to nature instead of the other way around yeah with all the well with the groundwater with the rivers with yeah. the a, sea a everything. managed
0: landscape but not a dictated landscape I would mm. say. <laughs> wow
2: beautiful all right thank you very much so now it's time to get back to uh petra uh, Goese, to hear from her what she has been listening to, what her insights are. So that's up next. So we started uh, this episode of Long-Termism with uh, Petra Goese from uh, the, the Water Board of uh, Northwest Netherlands. Petra, you've been listening to, to the conversation uh, between uh, uh, Rak uh, Kim and uh, Herman Kasper. What are the insights that you, uh, you have written down? Because you, oh, oh, I saw you writing in your, in your notebook with all the, all the new insights that you had. So what, what, what did you learn?
1: Well, first of all, I think it's always very uh, stimulating to listen to other people with different kinds of backgrounds. Uh, I must really congratulate you that you find these three gentlemen, four gentlemen, to discuss with this very different uh, knowledge that they're having. So that's already inspiring already. Uh, already now. Um, if I look back, what we've been talking about a lot of politics, actually, I think. Uh, that was the the main issue that came back. I mean, how do you make decisions now for the far future? Uh, one image that came to mind to me is like if you dis- discuss the climate summit, uh, the global issues that we are uh, facing, then we are a diesel locomotion that we really need to keep pushing forward. Uh, but in the meantime, we will need our local, or uh, regional, or national politics to be involved and be very swiftly adapting to all these new ideas and new uh, politics, uh, polit- political decisions that we have to make. So we have the long-term diesel and the, the short-term politicians that should be more flexible, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And the, we
2: need them both. That's what you say. Yeah, I think we yeah. need
1: them both, and yeah. I think we need them for a movement for both of them. I think it's good that we have this um, lot of protests in climate. I think that's what you see in the news. I'm very, that gives me some optimism. But perhaps we also need that on the national or regional uh, uh, scale. Also, I think it was very nice to, you know, if we are going to follow the nature instead of the man-made uh, landscape that we're having now. I find the expression "fleet afloat" very nice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, if we you,
2: already have houseboats in the Netherlands. So. Yeah, so why yeah. not?
1: Yeah. Make it on a, a, a bigger scale. <laughs> why not? So if you t- take these kind of um, inspirational ideas in mind, g- g- going to uh, changing from small scale to large scale, you might need more scenario thinking that we're already doing, I think. but we are, find it difficult to make political decisions on that and based on these, this, this scenario thinking because it had lots of uncertainties for the long term. And if we have looking now at our water and the national uh, politicians that are really embracing the idea of taking the soil and water characteristics as a leading role for the landscapes, uh, it's just that is a good positive one. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime we are also facing well, problems in economics at the moment and our housing challenges. So. How are you going to deal with that? So I think we still have that problem in the short term to have these major discussions and the major decisions in a very limited amount of space that we're having. So yeah. we do not have the solution yet. I think that's good also because <laughs> if we could come up with the best idea, best solution, now we've done something very bad, you know, in the last few uh, years. Mm-hmm. but. Was so. there a,
2: was there a perspective that you were missing? Because we had, of course, we had uh, we had uh, Rak and Herman a bit from the from the more law kind of perspective. Uh, Rak, of course, from the uh, well the international institutions. Uh, we had um, Kim uh, more from a, a, a physical ge- geography side. Was there a, a, a perspective that you said, well, that would be interesting to have that also in the room? Because we, have, well, I mean, I three is so three. Academics is a lot, but
1: yeah, maybe bi- you said, well... Biodiversity, perhaps.
2: Okay, yeah.
1: To put yeah. that into mind. Yeah. yeah. Actually, with that, I think that was... Um, somebody got asked, the, uh, Herman Kasper about flexible um, legislation. What I've written down is maybe an ecosystem approach for legal hmm. structures. Yeah. No idea if that's possible, but perhaps we could think a different way as well, and perhaps we could also introduce into the discussions the the more the creative creative industry that we're trying to we're all actually look looking into this kind of way design thinking uh, or mm. you know to have a different approach of the same solutions the same questions, but then with a completely different uh, point of view that might be interesting yeah, but I must say I think um, what we need most actually i wouldn't mind to discuss this a bit further. Okay, I mean, well that, people, can, be yeah, I mean, that can be arranged, that can be arranged, really nice, yes. yeah sure. Uh, and I, was, I would like to st- to end up also with uh, the last bit of the discussion, also give me some positive insights that um, we have lots of uh, discussion that we have, well we have lots of challenges that we are facing and we are already all working hard on that, that's really no, that's really good feeling, we are not alone in that, um, but it's also a positive thing I think, positive framing is that all the need for change. We are urgently needing change, but that will need to innovations. So we will come up mm. with all these bright people in this room, uh, We are all the universities working on it, uh, but also the, also the creative section. I um, mean, if we get the movement going from going to climate change in a broad sense, we will come up with some very nice uh, innovations. And I'm looking forward to meeting those ideas.
2: All right. And of course we will continue this conversation Only not in this podcast because we're at the final moments of this podcast. Thank you very much, uh, Petra Uh, Goese. More information, of course, about her work you can just find on LinkedIn, like almost everybody that's working within the Netherlands. Thanks also to uh, Rakim, Herman, Kasper, Gillissen, Kim Cohen, all all of the Utrecht University. And you, of course, thank you for listening to this long-termism podcast. There's more to come, so please subscribe via your favorite podcast platform.